So I'm going to begin um, today with a confession that the other day I lost my temper, which is terrible, I know, especially after having a very nice long weekend away. I really shouldn't probably have been losing my temper, but I did, and that was that. Me and Josh, we were heading off out to the weekly quiz that we go to on a Tuesday night, and we didn't even get out of the garage before. You know, everything had just been lost for me. We hopped into the car, and I began the maneuver required to get out of the garage, but there was this box of painting sheets that was there on the floor in the garage, and they were sitting right in the way. And they were in the way because I had to take them out of the car in order to pack the car for when we went away on our holiday. And I mean, I didn't, put the, I didn't put the sheets back in the car, and they've only been there about two months now, and they've been in the back of the car because they belong to Laura and Marshall, and we've been meaning to return them. They haven't made it there yet, obviously. So they'll get back to you one day, sorry. But there they were, sitting in the way in the garage, and as I'm trying to back out, I know it's all my fault that they're there, um, and now we're running late for the quiz, and you know, it was just all getting a bit much, and they needed to be moved. And so, you know, I really sighed like, ah, and slammed the car back into drive, pulled forward back into the garage, slammed the car into park, flung my seatbelt off, flung the door open, got out, and I was there ready to throw this box of painting sheets across the car. And, I mean, getting out of the car in a rage is quite difficult, really, because there's, like, this series of very deliberate actions that you've got to do in order to get out. You've got to, like, park the car, um, put the handbrake on, take the seatbelt off, open the door, get your way out of the door, and then reverse it all when you've got to get back in. So it can be difficult to make that series of actions. I'm really angry, but... I did it on Tuesday. It was good. So whilst I was rage quitting the car, Josh was just sitting there in the passenger seat watching it all unfold. And it wasn't until I was there ready to throw the box of sheets across the car that Josh said, Lucy, don't be angry. Being angry about this isn't going to help anything. And, <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I hope you all know, I'm assuming you all know what calm and measured and reasonable words do to an individual who's in a rage, because it certainly didn't help in that moment. That box of sheets got flung across the garage, out of the way, and I got back into the car, slammed the door, and by the time we were at the end of the driveway when we finally got there, my takeoff, it was far from gentle, I must admit. But, yes, I, yeah, of course I did. Um, but Josh, thankfully, he persisted with his measured and reasonable suggestions until I was prepared to actually listen to them and calm down um, as we got on our way to the quiz. So I lost my temper on a Tuesday, and it was all because of this box of sheets that I had put in the way in the first place. And it's stupid, isn't it? I can see that now. And I can also see that box of sheets, they really had nothing to do with why I was angry. They they were just the one that I took it out on. They presented a mild inconvenience, and the cause of the anger which had been brewing away all day, they, it, just, it had to be taken out on them. So don't worry, Laura Marshall, the sheets are fine. They'll get their way to you at some point. But what really rubbed in the stupidness of the situation that day was the fact that in the morning I'd read the passage that we're going to be talking about today, 
And I knew what it said. And of course, this passage, it talked about anger. And so today, as we continue in our Holy Spirit series, we're reading from Ephesians 4, verse 25, to chapter 5, verse 2, which talks about what it looks like to live in the Spirit. So if you want to turn with me there now, we'll read starting at verse 25. It says, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an, an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your words to us. We thank you that they are relevant today to us just as they were when they were written all those years ago. We pray, Lord, that we'd hear your voice through these words this morning, that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage, it's all about living in the Spirit, living as children of the light. It talks about living as a part of the body of Christ, and it talks about striving to live like Christ and following his example. And in the middle, which is where we're going to start today, it talks about our motivation to keep all of these commands that Paul spells out in his letter. And it's not really clear whether Paul intentionally nestled this little piece of gold, that is verse 30, right into the middle of the passage, but having it serve as the hinging point of what is recorded either side of it is really helpful to focus the rest of the passage through. So verse 30, it says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Other translations put it, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And I like how the message version puts it. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing within you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. In the middle of what might seem like an overly long list of do's and don'ts is this verse that lifts your focus beyond the simple commands and makes clear 
what should be our motivation for keeping these commands. Paul isn't making all of these suggestions just to annoy us, but rather he's pointing out that as followers of Christ, God's spirit now dwells within us. And just as passengers in a car are affected by the decisions that the driver makes, so the spirit within us is affected by the decisions that we make. So don't grieve God. Don't bring sorrow to his Holy Spirit. Don't break his heart by the way that you're living. Remember, God's spirit within you is the seal of your salvation. It identifies that you are his. It is your guarantee. And his Holy Spirit moving and breathing within you is the most intimate part of your life, your core, or your soul, your center. And the Spirit within you works with you as you seek to serve God. So don't take such a gift, such a seal, such a guarantee for granted. This is our motivation. When I read this verse, I recalled 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20, which says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Our bodies are not our own. They've been made temples of the Holy Spirit. So we must honor God with our bodies and our choices and in our decisions. Because it is not just ourselves now who bear the consequences. That is also our motivation. Paul also calls back to the opening of his letter to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, where he says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. God's guarantee to us is that we don't have to do this alone. God's seal for our salvation is his mighty spirit and power living within us on this earth. God has identified us as his his own by gifting us his promised Holy Spirit as an advocate, a helper, an intercessor, a comfort, as the very presence of God within us. This is our motivation. Just as passengers in a car are affected by the choices that the driver makes, so the spirit within us is affected by the choices that we make. And with this as our, whole, as our motivation, with the spirit as our center and at the center of this passage, Paul brings the rest of the commands. He begins the passage with commands concerning how we live as a part of the body. The first four commands focus on how we interact with those around us and how our actions and our words can either be used to build up or to destroy. Paul starts with lying. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And he couldn't be really much more plain, could he? Just stop telling lies. That's that. 
But he follows it up by saying, let's be truthful with our neighbors. Let's speak the truth because we are all part of the same body. Paul's qualifier for stop lying is that we're all part of the same body. So why would we lie? Why would we harm another part of the body when we are all connected? Lying is destructive not only for the person who receives it, but for the teller as well and for their relationships with others. And though sometimes lies start very innocently, Lies almost always spiral out of control, and the harm just spreads further and further and further. So stop telling lies and instead speak truth. Where dishonesty and lies tear apart, truth is essential for building and for strengthening communities. Healthy communities, they rely on truth. Truth that says, I am here for you, and you can depend on me, and you will see that by my words and actions. So stop telling lies that harm and destroy, and instead speak truth to build and to strengthen. Paul next touches on the topic that was put in especially for me this week, anger. Verses 26 and 27 say, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now these verses, they aren't saying never get angry. Rather, they are addressing how we might hold on to our anger and let it fester away within us. And in turn, that festering anger can cause us to sin. Anger is an emotion. We can and we will feel frustrated about things, and anger will boil up in us, we'll feel angry. But what Paul wants us to do here is to deal with that anger wisely and maturely. Because if we don't control the anger and instead let it control us, like I did a little on Tuesday, it will lead us into sin. On my bad temper Tuesday, as per Paul's advice, I did manage to get the anger out of my system before the sun went down, but I had already let it fester all day long. And Paul warns against that pretty plainly. He's saying, don't let anger fester because otherwise the devil has an in. When the reason to be, to be angry came to me on Tuesday, I knew I was, I was frustrated. Like I was like, you know, that's a niggle, but I was okay. You know, I didn't feel like throwing anything at that stage. But by the time I got to the evening and found those sheets in the way, I was ready to just straight run them over. And I mean, that anger that I hadn't dealt with, it was giving a foothold to the enemy and it was going to lead me into sin. And that doesn't mean that I was going to do something super sinister straight away. I wasn't going to necessarily lash out in a terrible way. But giving a foothold to the enemy means allowing things like anger to settle and frustration to fester, for negative thoughts to take root and for bitterness to build up. And all of those things, imagine how they grieve the spirit because nothing good can ever come of those things. So, Paul says, deal with your anger quickly and effectively. Don't even let the enemy have a sniff at you by letting anger fester. Then continuing to give instruction for how to live as a part of the body of Christ, Paul then moves on to stealing and using foul language. Verses 28 and 29 say, if you are a thief, quit stealing. 
Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. These two verses, they come together as a bit of a package, really, because they're very similar in the way they're presented. Don't use your hands to steal. That's selfish. Instead, put your hands to good work that will serve others. And don't use your mouth to swear and give abuse. That's hurtful. Instead, put your mouth to good work and speak words to others that are helpful and encouraging. Paul here is saying, be productive. Use your hands and your words to build others, to help others, to encourage others. We have this ability to take care of one another, both physically and emotionally, so let's do that. Let's be generous with what we have and demonstrate love in our words and by our actions. Each of these commands, they take us away from the center. They divert the focus from I or me, and it puts others at the center. Each of these commands, they ask us to lift our consideration and to think of others in everything we do and say. We are to speak truthfully, to control our anger, to do good with our hands, and to build others up by our words. And our motivation to do each of these things isn't only to serve others around us, but also to honor the Spirit of God that dwells within us. Because just as passengers in a car are affected by the choices the driver makes, so the Spirit within us is affected by the choices that we make. Paul closes the passage by calling us to do as God does and be as Christ is. With a bit of a summary of the previous verses, Paul reminds us to get rid of all bitterness and rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And instead, he suggests be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ forgave you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do because you are his dear children. All of these things that he names, that he says we should get rid of, they're all things that build hostility and that tear relationships apart. And they provide a real contrast to what Paul lays out at the start of Ephesians chapter 4 um, in his description of a Christian's calling. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So it's no wonder that Paul wants us to get rid of these things and instead mark ourselves with kindness and compassion and forgiveness for one another. And he qualifies this by pointing out that we are to forgive others just as God has forgiven us through Christ. With God's spirit within us, we are called to a higher standard, one that is set by the spirit, one that is modeled by God. And we can see the character of God through the events of the cross. In those days, 
His kindness, his compassion, his forgiveness were made so real and tangible through, the, through Christ's death and resurrection. These qualities of his character, they were no longer just spoken about, but rather they were seen and they were experienced by all. And now that we have been adopted into God's family through Christ, now that we have received kindness, compassion, and forgiveness from God, and now that we have God's spirit dwelling within us, we are to be the tangible bearers of that and demonstrate those qualities to others around us. Paul then finishes with the last verse, which is Ephesians 5 verse 2, and we're going to move into communion from here. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. We are to follow the example of Christ and live lives filled with love because Christ loved us and offered himself for us as a living sacrifice. And that presented a pleasing aroma to God. What is significant about this verse is that it focuses on Christ giving himself. We know so well that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that we wouldn't die but have eternal life. We know that we've been forgiven by God through Christ's blood shed on the cross. We know that we have been gifted salvation by God and that we have been sealed for that salvation by the gift of God's spirit dwelling within us. But what is just so significant about this verse is that it asks us to follow the example of Christ, loving as he loved, offering ourselves as he offered himself for us. We are not our own. We have been purchased by Christ, adopted into God's family and sealed by his Holy Spirit within us. We are not our own. Our bodies belong to the Spirit, our hearts belong to God, and our lives belong to Christ. We are not our own. We have been called to live like Christ, to follow the example that he has set. And that gives us a reason for coming to this table. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Christ's body broken for us. Christ's blood spilled for us. Christ's life given for us. As we come to this table this morning, remember that this is the standard that has been set. This is what we have been called to do to give our lives 
for the lives of others. And that's quite an ask, isn't it? But remember, God's guarantee to us is that we don't have to do this alone. We don't travel this journey alone. We don't live this life alone. We have been gifted the Holy Spirit. The very same power that raised Christ from the dead on the third day. That power, that spirit lives in us and goes with us. So I want to ask you to take your time in coming to this table this morning and take some time to recognize the cost, to recognize what this symbolizes, because that isn't a step to be taken lightly, to consider the cost of giving your life for the lives of others. But as you sit and pray before you come, remember that you don't go alone. God's spirit is within you. He will never leave you or forsake you, and he will travel this journey with you. The standard that has been set is high. The standard that has been set is your life given over for the lives of others. And let us honor the spirit within us by not striving for anything less, for not settling for anything less than our lives given over for others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us, that you bought us life, you bought us freedom, you bought us forgiveness, you bought us salvation. In Christ, we're called to follow in your example, to love as you loved us, and to offer ourselves as you offered yourself for us. And there's a huge cost to that, Jesus, and you know You've walked that walk. You've sat knowing that that was the cost you had to pay. And you know it wasn't easy. So Jesus, as we sit this morning before coming to this table and consider that cost in our own lives, would you speak to us and would you let us know that by your spirit, there is the strength within us to do that? Would you remind us that we don't go alone? that now with your spirit within us, we can face these things. We can pay that cost. We can walk that journey together. But Jesus, we thank you for what you did. We thank you that you made the way for us to walk in. And we thank you that you continue to walk with us.